from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, it's New Year's Day 2024. Welcome, everybody. Happy New Year to our wonderful podcast listeners. This was silliness, but uh, I'm having more and more senior moments, and here's one. I was looking at Wendy's December calendar, and that's still a paper calendar that she hangs on the fridge. Love my paper calendar. I love my little pocket calendar. <laughs> I, I want at least something in my life that's not on my iPhone, for crying <laughs> out loud. And and you and I share that in common. Anyway, I flipped from December to January on the calendar, and it said that January 1st was Sunday. And I was like, wait a minute. This is a senior moment. I was like, wait a minute. I My whole life, I could have sworn that New Year's Day was always exactly one week after Christmas. <laughs> always. And I know that Christmas was on a Monday this year, or last 2023. So New Year's Day is supposed to be on a Monday, but it, this year it's on a Sunday? <laughs> and I called into question my whole concept of the universe. <laughs> I thought I, I couldn't figure it out because I flipped from, Jan, from December to January and it said... <laughs> but then, Wendy, you discovered my senior moment, and what did you point out to uh, me? Well, that was January of 2023 you were looking at, because it, it was on the same it calendar. It was on the same so calendar. 2023, was, January. But truly, I was in such a fog <laughs> that I was willing to question. <laughs> have I been wrong have all I, these years? Have I mistakenly yeah, have I been thought mistaken? this? <laughs> was there some weird leap thing that made us go backwards <laughs> that I didn't know about? Did COVID mess us up? Did we lose days in lockdown? I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. You're making it up now. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciate. You're goofy. Yes. Uh, well, thankfully, we are all straightened out. January 1st, 2024, here we are, and it is a Monday, so our faithful listeners get an episode. Good. And... We are interested in a little update from the Theology of the Body Institute right now. Well, I just want to share one thing right now as an update. Okay. That my latest book, which just came out recently, end of 2024, called Eating the Sunrise, Meditations on the Liturgy and Our Hunger for Beauty, uh, has been doing very well. And the reviews are coming in and people are really, really enjoying it. Mm. And that's always edifying because, you know, you write these books and you think you're saying something of value or you wouldn't write it. Um, but then when it lands and people just say how much it's enriched their lives. And uh, I've had uh, one priest that I know who who got it. Um, he's already been giving hundreds of them away in talks that he's been giving because he thinks it's my my best work that I've wow. ever written. So I'll I'll take that. I think it might be because, you know, it's... it's. We hope we keep improving. Yeah, we hope we keep improving. <laughs> and it's my latest book, so I would hope it's my best. Mm. Uh, but it's a look at the world through a sacramental lens, as all my books are, but, but particularly in light of what we're going through in the world today with really the, the root behind all this gender confusion and sex, sexual chaos is the failure to see the world sacramentally. And this book unfolds the idea that we really have three choices with erotic desire, with our approach to the body and sexuality. We're either going to idolize, despise, hmm. 
or liturgize them. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's all I should say, just to kind of leave you hanging. Yeah. Idolize, despise, or liturgize. I think we know what idolize and despise mean, but what does liturgize mean? Yeah. Well, maybe you're going to have to read the book to find out. I like that. Cliffhanger. That's a good one. You ready for a question from a patron? Uh, yes, let's do a question from a patron. And I'm sure we'll have a link to that book in the uh, show notes. This is from a patron named John. Hello, John. John, I just want to say thank you, brother. Thank you for your monthly support of the Institute. We can't do this work without you. We hope you're taking advantage of all of the benefits that we offer our patrons. And uh, I don't know how old you are, John. Maybe I'm about to find out. Or does he say what kind of state of life he's in? Is he... He, his age is actually in this question, why do you want to know? it? Oh, because I was going to recommend this new benefit that we have for our patrons which is the theology of the body uh, for like a middle school aged audience? Mm-hmm. Does he have middle aged, middle, middle I, aged, I don't think so. middle school aged? I don't think so. Middle aged and middle school aged. Who knows? Two different, he, he might, very different audiences. You might know somebody. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. I've often heard it said that you never get over your first love. I thought people simply settled instead of waiting for a better better relationship when it became clear that the first true love wasn't meant to be. However, part of me wonders if heartbreak ever heals, and if I will always be hung up on the one who got away. Mm. It's been over a decade, and I feel silly as a 37-year-old man still thinking about my first girlfriend. She is happily married, and I have been recurrently single. I have dated several beautiful women, but she still has a hold on my heart, so I don't feel that it is fair to continue dating them. What am I to do? I don't know how to move on, and I'm beginning to think I never will. Is this truly normal, and is it okay to date someone while you still yearn for another? God bless you, dear brother John. I just want to honor you your heart and its torments and its struggles and its questions. Uh, That's deep, deep human stuff. And it just, it's worthy of reverence because it's painful. It's Mm -hmm. painful stuff. I do think I have a few reflections that could maybe shine a light for you. Um, Yes, I'm going to recommend a book to you. I've recommended it on the show before. It's called The Dark Knight Psychological Experience and Spiritual Reality by Father Mark Foley, F-O-L-E-Y. And I'm recommending that book to you, John, because he does a really good job talking about how the longings of our heart, and including, he uses an example of a woman who's married, um, very happily married, but she still has these sentiments and kind of a pining heart for a, a lost love. And And he very insightfully demonstrates kind of how that's a map to her heart in in a way that things in her her heart that she's longing for really understood properly and taken through proper purification can become a burning yearning for God in the right way. And I really believe this, this pining you have for that lost love can become and maybe already is at some level, something holy. Now, all of our desires in our hearts, all of them need to undergo purifications. 
So I'm not I'm not saying that everything you're experiencing here is 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 holy. Um, nobody can really say that about anything, pretty much. But I do know this: that that is a window into a very tender and very important place in your heart. And the Lord desires for you to open those tender, important places of your heart to him. So my brother John, have you ever, do you keep a prayer journal? Have you ever journaled this out? Have you ever like written a letter to the Lord, just expressing what you feel for this woman? Uh, The cry of your heart, your desire for her, your sadness, your disappointments, what memories you have of that relationship that kind of tap that nostalgia or longing? Have you opened that stuff up in prayer? Because opening that stuff up in prayer and bringing the Lord into that place, and let me also add, bringing Mary, the mother of the Lord, and our mother into those places. Why do I say Mary here? Because that, brother, that that place in your heart is a window into your longing for the feminine. And in the spiritual journey, Mary is the woman who knows how to minister to those places in our hearts where we long for the feminine. She knows how to minister to those places in our hearts in a beautiful, holy way. There's something in there, brother. I I promise you, if you open it up in your prayer, open open it to Jesus, open it to Mary. This can launch you uh, many, many steps ahead on the journey into intimacy with the Lord. Because that, that relationship you have that you still pine for, that you still long for, that is a window, that is an icon into what we're all called to have is this love relationship with Jesus and with Mary. So my encouragement to you would be let it become uh, an invitation to deeper prayer. And not just prayer that you would grow and learn more about your own heart by opening that up, but also that pining can become a proper prayer for her. Because maybe there's disordered aspects of that desire for her, again, that need to be purified, probably are. Uh, But in purifying a desire, and purifying a disordered love, what do we end up with? An ordered love. It doesn't mean you won't love her anymore. It means you'll love her in the right way. And the very ache for her can become intercession for her and for her husband and for her children. That is clearly her vocation. That's where the Lord has her. Uh, you did not marry her. Um, that was not part of the Lord's plan for her life or for your life. And coming to a, but it, let me say this, it doesn't mean it's not the Lord's will for you to love her, but love her in the right way. And offering your own desire and attraction and pining for that relationship to the Lord for purification, it's not only you're growing in deeper intimacy and prayer with the Lord, but you're learning also how to pray for her. You're learning also how to love her in the right way. And I'm telling you, this this is not just theory to me. Um, I had a long-term relationship before I met Wendy. And and when I've had things in my heart just recurring over the years, I'm a 54-year-old man, and that relationship ended 34 years ago. But yeah, those those early relationships leave an impression. 
And we shouldn't squash that. We shouldn't pretend it, it's not there, but we can turn it into something holy. We can, with grace, bringing grace into those memories, the Lord can turn that into something holy. And we can learn things about our own desires. We can learn things about our own idols. We can learn ways that, wow, I really idolize that person. And I need to release that person from that idolization. And I need to learn how to direct that desire to the Lord. I need to learn how to direct that desire to, to Jesus and to the Blessed Mother for healing, for, for right orientation. That is a powerful, powerful healing journey to go on, brother. And you are, I believe, right on the verge of it, of it really exploding in, into deep, a, a deep prayer life, a deep experience of intimacy with Jesus, of being known of being seen, and of not having those desires squashed or erased, but having them rightly ordered. And again, that book, uh, The Dark Knight, uh, the psychological approach to it all, I think will help you tremendously on that journey. I just want to um, ask you to, he concluded with this, is it okay to date oh, someone yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about while that you part. still yearn for another? And I, I feel like, first of all, what you did share already is pointing to how important it is to listen to when the Lord is bringing something up in our hearts that is important for us, that we we take it to Him, yeah. you know. And so, like, that this keeps coming up, like, it yeah. it needs it needs to be tended to. And I I really love the tools and, and pointers for tending to it. I wonder if you wanted to say something about that last part yes, of the question. Yes, yes. Here's, here's my advice, brother. I think as you venture into a deeper stage of this journey in opening this stuff up to the Lord in prayer, and I hope, I pray you have a, a, a maybe a trusted spiritual director or a counselor or hopefully a Catholic counselor who understands these things, uh, somebody you can process this with. I think you will find your heart liberated and desiring to want to learn how to love someone else. And it doesn't mean that those feelings will ever be erased, but again, they will become rightly ordered. And the more rightly ordered they become, I think the more liberated you will feel, and by that I mean freed up to, to want to date others. I do think maybe if you feel right now maybe it's disloyal to be dating other people because there's such a heartache for this other woman— I think that's not so much a sign that you shouldn't be dating other people as it is a sign that there's stuff, as Wendy said, that just needs to be processed, opened up in prayer. And the fact that it keeps coming up in your heart, it's like the Lord knocking on the door of your heart saying, open that to me, open that to me. I want to mm -hmm. help you with that. And, and the more you go on that journey, I think you'll be freed up. Um, I do think at some level, like if you were really just pining, like, like there's a soul tie to this previous relationship that hasn't been addressed or dealt with or free, you haven't been freed up from it, it may not be appropriate to be dating somebody else because there's just places in your heart that need to be freed up. What do I mean by a soul tie? Maybe, I don't know the relationship, but you may have had uh, sexual intimacies with her that were inappropriate. Those sexual intimacies can create what's called in kind of the circles of inner healing, a soul tie. And that means there's a part of your soul that has been tied to that person from illicit sexual activity. 
in prayer through healing prayer. And here you may need somebody to guide you through it. Um, this book can help that I recommended. Another book, um, read the books of Bob Schutz, Dr. Bob Schutz, if you can go on any of his healing retreats. Oh, and you're a patron. Um, yeah, as part of our patron community, we have for our patrons a retreat that I did with Bob Schutz that gets into this inner healing stuff. And I think we may have even specifically talked about soul ties. It was a maybe a year and a half ago that we recorded that, so I'm not remembering exactly. But um, yeah, I had to go through some some inner healing um, because of soul ties, uh, connections from illicit sexual activity uh, that that freed me up in beautiful, powerful ways. And I'm I'm guessing some of that based on the kind of vehemence of this attachment you still have all these years later. I'm guessing there's probably some of that in there, but there are ways to go forward there, brother, in in terms of freeing you up from those soul ties. Uh, watch that retreat on the patron community page uh, with Bob Schutz. And I'll just share, you, you mentioned the idea of inner healing, and I know, you know, we don't... Um... Like it's a special gift to understand that there is such a thing as inner yeah. healing. Um, and I'm so grateful for it in my life. I know I'm so grateful that you also experience it. I recently had a conversation with one of our children about just the idea of I brought up healing of memories because of a painful memory. And this child said, go ahead and tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought... What a beautiful open door. And I think one of the things that is really powerful, how do you know you've experienced healing? And one of the things that I think is a sure sign in my life is that memories lose their um, excessive emotional impact. It's like they get stored in my mind and heart in the right place and they they don't have the same painful complicated zing to them anymore well said (laughs) and but you can't just wish yourself there and that when you talked about journaling one of the amazing things about being on this journey with the lord is that is that he is a participant that he wants to speak to our hearts and show us things that we cannot come up with yes. in our own just thinking something over. You and I know that v- is very real. Like in a, a time of prayer where we're bringing a memory to the Lord, where something will happen that brings about a shift Absolutely. that we didn't create, yeah. that the Holy Spirit is alive and right. active and knows us. Right. And so that is like the hope I want to hold out to John and to our listeners is if we if – we, who doesn't have a painful memory? Yeah. Who doesn't have many of them? And I think in the case of this, I would imagine painful memories are connected with breaking up or with things in the relationship that led to a breakup. Um, so that's an example of painful memories. But maybe what John's also experiencing is like an overly strong emotion about the positive memories that that isn't in its kind of proper place in his story, mm, mm. you know? So I think even things that aren't painful also need to be just, the Lord needs to help us to have it um, just speak truth to us and not um, lead us away from the truth of God's good plans for each one of us. So I don't know how to articulate that 
any better, but I, it is my prayer for John and for our listeners to be open to the idea of, of that our memories, that our stories can experience grace and transformation. I have a story here, I think, that would really help. Okay. And I don't even know if I shared this with you, Wendy. It okay. just happened like 10 days ago. Okay. I heard an old song from 1989, and you know how a song can just zoom you back to yeah. a time and a place. And it took me back to a very happy time in my my late teenage years, early 20s. I had just, start, uh, just joined this band, and things were going well with my girlfriend, and and I just started having these these kind of nostalgic musings about 1989 in my life. And it started to become a kind of clinging, mm. like, gosh, those were better days and those were happy times. And what happened to mm. all that, those happy times and um, pain that came out later on and, I, and all that stuff. I, I started yearning for that that feeling of, of being a teenager again. And... And instead of shutting down the memory, it could have become an unhealthy attachment. Mm -hmm. uh, but instead of shutting it down, I've been through a journey a a enough here to know that there's something deeper. Nostalgia, the very word nostalgia, I love words and where they come from. Uh, nostalgia means a longing for home, a longing for home. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to repress this nostalgia but I'm not going to let it stagnate either and idolize some special time in my life. Uh, I want to go deeper. I want to go to the deepest nostalgia. I want to go. I want to let that that kind of uh, nostalgia that I felt for 1989 be a step on the way to a deeper mm -hmm. longing. What is my true longing for home? And in fact, this is an insight I got right out of that book uh, that I recommended, "The Dark Knight and mm -hmm. the Psychological Experience." Really, the longing for home is a longing for the womb. That's our home. Mm. That's our original home. And, and, and that even, the longing for the womb, our original home, is only itself a sign of a deeper longing, a longing for heaven. And guess what the best earthly image of heaven is? Mary's womb. Because Mary's womb became heaven on earth, the dwelling place of the Lord. And this, this memory of 1989, which I could have latched onto and started to idolize certain things about my experience in 1989, as I opened it up, I didn't squash it. I let it become. I went deeper. I said, Lord, take me deeper. And it took me to this longing for the womb. It took me to this longing for Mary. It took me to this longing for heaven. Uh, and then it became a prayer uh, for me, for, for others, for people I know who are struggling it was really a holy experience. That's what can happen when we let memories go the distance, like take it mm. deeper, like, Lord, show me what's behind this. Show me what's even deeper than this. Had I shared that story with you? No. Well, there it is. It just happened like two weeks ago. It was beautiful. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah, it was special. That's... I liked it a lot. And you know what? Now that song that I heard has a new memory. Yeah. It's connected now with that deeper experience of prayer, not just with 1989. Yes. I like that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an example of healing of, of memories right there. Mm -hmm. Going deeper. Our next question is yes. from a listener named Maggie. Hi, Maggie. Maggie says, the deconstruction trend is really taking off in Catholic circles. 
and taking down even people who were strong, committed disciples. It tends to start with LGBT issues. I can't underline enough how bad it's getting, especially among young people. I feel convicted that TOB is a missing key in offering a biblically orthodox third path between fundamentalism and secularity. But many LGBT people report that TOB hurts them badly since their bodies don't conform to the message about the beauty of procreative attraction. Please help. If all our bodies tell God's story, what different part of God's story does a gay person's body tell? And how can we understand vocation as it applies to LGBT brothers and sisters? Maggie, bless you, bless you, bless you. I, I, I want to point you to the chapter in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, where I, I deal with same-sex attraction and the question of homosexuality. I, uh, even the way I phrase that, I, 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 want to, I want to say this gently. I want to say this with tenderness and understanding. We live in confusing times. And it's, it's difficult to find the right vocabulary to talk about these things. And I don't claim I've done so perfectly. But, but may I suggest, even, the, even some of the way you phrase the question, the vocabulary you're using, like the, the LGBT people, or the, how did she say it, the LGBT questions, or the... Yeah, people and issues. People yeah. and issues, and, and how does a gay person... Um, live out the theology of the body. Now, that is language that we've gotten from the culture. And the language we've gotten from the culture is chosen because it warps our understanding of reality. Uh, this is going to sound strange to say this uh, because we're, we're so used to the way our culture speaks and we're, we're kind of immersed in it and we don't know an alternate language. But just a little history about some vocabulary here. The very words heterosexual and homosexual were devised in the, I think it's the mid to late 1800s. Uh, you won't find those words in dictionaries prior to that time. And the very words with those prefixes, homosexuality, heterosexuality, uh, using those words already start shaping things in a different way, and all the more so when we start getting into a gay person or an LGBTQ person, as if as if that defines them, uh, as if homosexuality or heterosexuality was was some defining property of the person. When it comes to sexuality, the only defining property is sexuality itself. But even that word's gotten so warped in this world. What does the word sexuality mean? It means male and female, he created them, right? Male and female, he created them. The very word sexuality or sex, uh, it, it means the distinction, right? There's a difference between, uh, I, I believe the word section is related to that root that we get the same word sex to section something off. This is not that. There's a distinction. Sex itself already refers to this distinction. So sexuality refers to male and female. Now look what happens to those words when we put these prefixes on. Homosexuality. Homo means same. Sexuality means difference. Homosexuality means same difference. 
It's a contradiction in terms. Heterosexuality means different difference. You're saying the same thing twice. It's redundant, right? Why am I kind of zooming in on this? Why am I doing a language lesson? To get us back to reality, the blueprint of our humanity, the reality of God's creation is found before sin twisted and distorted things. This is why when 2,000 years ago, people had questions about the nature of marriage, they came to Jesus and they asked him about divorce. And Jesus says, have you not read that in the beginning, God made them male and female? And John Paul II in the Theology of the Body says, with all the questions coming at the church today in the modern world, about the nature of marriage, about the nature of man and woman, about the nature of sexual morality, with all these questions that many of these questions were not on the table 2,000 years ago. But he says Jesus would give the same answer. He would point us back to the beginning because the good news of the gospel, and here I quote the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. Okay, let that sink in. In the beginning, male and female, he created them. And in the beginning, male and female were oriented towards each other. Their bodies were the revelation of the inner mystery of the person. The body reveals the truth of sexual orientation. A man's body is oriented towards a woman's body. A woman's body is oriented towards a man's body. Everybody's body tells that story. Yes, there are situations in a fallen world where things don't always turn out the way bodily according to the original blueprint. For example, we know according to the original blueprint, eyes are meant for seeing. We also know some people are born blind. We know according to the original blueprint that human beings are meant to have legs. Some people are born without legs. These are tragedies of a fallen world. We know in a fallen world, some people are born with ambiguous genitalia. This is a tragedy of a fallen world. We don't look to these abnormalities to, to define reality. We look to that which is normal, not which is abnormal, to understand reality, right? The blueprint is clear. Eyes are meant for seeing. Ears are meant for hearing. Legs are meant for walking. Genitals are meant for generating, right? When there's ambiguity there, if doctors can cre uh, correct the ambiguity, uh, praise God. So long as they are working with the genetic reality of the child. Uh, I'm not a biologist. I've read up on some of this. I go into much more detail in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, about some of these anomalies in, in birth defects. But notice the very term, birth defect. It means something has gone wrong because we know there is such a thing as human nature. And this is what's being denied with the embrace of a, quote, gay identity or a, a quote, LGBTQ identity. Uh, we, are, we are warping reality. We are taking people away from the truth of male and female he created them. Now, let me say this also. Every human being as a result of original sin, every human being is sexually disoriented. Mm. Everyone. Mm. 
Wendy, you're sexually disoriented, and so am I, because you're broken, and so am I. We are wounded. Uh, What was the first result of original sin? I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. That shame about sexuality, that shame about the body, what did they cover? Not their earlobes, not their elbows. They covered those parts of their body that distinguished them one from the other. There is a certain shame now connected with the sexual difference itself, with the whole sexual reality itself that came from a fundamental disorientation that crept into our humanity with original sin. And if you're familiar with this podcast, you've heard me talk about the rocket engines, right? God gave us erotic desire in the beginning to be like the fuel of a rocket that has the power to launch us to the stars, to infinity and beyond. But with original sin, those rocket engines became inverted, disoriented. What's the good news of the gospel? Christ comes into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. If we are willing to go on a long, lifelong journey with Jesus Christ, surrendering to him all of our disorientations, we can become more and more the men and women God created us to be in the beginning. No one in this life can claim I'm back at the state of innocence where I'm perfectly uh, put together according to God's original design. We're all on a journey here. But to say that God made somebody to be gay, that someone has a gay identity as if that's written into their creation, is precisely not to go back to creation, but is to begin the journey with original sin as if if our fallen humanity designed us, uh, or if our, excuse me, our fallen humanity defines us. Our fallen humanity does not define us. We are broken. We are wounded. Guess what? We're all broken, we're all wounded, we're all disoriented, and it's okay that we're broken because there's a solution. But it is not okay to call our brokenness health. It is not okay to call our brokenness the way God made us. The theology of the body is not only a challenge to those who experience their disoriented desires as aimed at their own sex— The theology of the body is a challenge to me. It's a challenge to Wendy. It's a challenge to every human being on the planet to reclaim through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's original plan for our humanity. When we understand that to be the case, we understand that theology of the body is for everybody and even a disfigured body, someone born without legs, someone born with ambiguous genitalia, This is also part of the story now. Look what happened to Christ's body in his scourging. Look what happened to Christ's body on the cross. He was disfigured horribly to the point that it says in Scripture he became so unseemly, so horrific to look at that people had to turn away. Christ has absorbed in his body all of the disfigurements of this fallen world. But what happened on the third day? A glorified body. And what do we read about glorified bodies? The lame will leap, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, and we can add, those with ambiguous genitalia will no longer have ambiguous genitalia. Their maleness or their femaleness, as God always intended it to be from the beginning, will shine with glory. 
if we don't have our perspective on that heavenly resurrected reality as part of the human story, yeah. and we just zoom in to what is possible here on this on this earth, uh, we are to be pitied more than anybody, as St. Paul says. If the resurrection is not real, we are to be pitied more than anybody. But the resurrection is real, and this is the hope that we can hold out to everyone, the call to live and experience the redemption of our bodies, which is to say our whole humanity, body and soul. This is the journey for everyone. This is my journey. This is Wendy's journey. This is everybody's journey. I refuse to identify someone by their disordered desires. Rather, I affirm the deepest identity of every human being, male and female, he created them. That's the only sexual identity we have, is the one that God created in the beginning. Everything else, all the confusions, all of those, man, all manifestations of those inverted rocket engines come from our fallen humanity. And Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And there is real power flowing from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us to experience who we really are. Are that's the good news of the gospel. Mm. That's what we got to call people to. Mm-hmm. I, I loved when you were talking there about the resurrection and the glorified body, and saying, and this is part of who a human being is. Because I think about what you've taught me about um, through theology of the body, the idea of an adequate anthropology, which right. means an understanding of human beings that matches. God's plan and our dignity, and it acknowledges the complexity. And as you were describing, like how tempting it is, because what we're experiencing now is our place in history. Yes. Fallen, fallen reality. Fallen reality to think that is reality and to not see the two other, in in many ways, more real realities of God's creation and of our living in heaven fully redeemed. Yes. So like this here and now experience isn't defining us. I thought that was just you said so many important things there and I I think one of the other just so profound um realities that we discover in theology of the body is the idea that our bodies tell us we're made to be a gift for others. Yes. Yes, And I also just want to ask you to share that beautiful quote from um, the Second Vatican Council about Christ um, revealing yes. to us what it means to be a human being. Yes, yes. it's Gaudium et Spes, which means joy and hope. That's the name of the document. It's section number 22. And I, I used to have a professor who would joke that if uh, John Paul II had a vanity plate on the Pope mobile, it would be GS22. <laughs> And GS22, Gaudiumus Spes 22, says, The mystery of man can only be understood in light of the mystery of Christ. Mm. Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. What does this mean? It means we don't understand what it means to be human apart from Christ, who Christ is in his death and resurrection, Mm. who Christ is in the full power of a restored humanity. Our destiny is the full restoration 
of the original plan of God for our humanity. And, and, and Wendy, you said it very well. If we don't understand the beginning and we don't understand the end, we don't understand where we are now. And we end up normalizing our brokenness, right? We have to go back to the original blueprint. Every human being does. Uh, it's not like those who have same-sex inclinations, um, you know, are, are some in need of some kind of special redemption. We're all in need of redemption. We're all in need of a reorientation of those rocket engines. The ultimate sexual orientation is heaven, right? We are made for the marriage of the lamb. Uh, between here and there, it's going to be messy. We're going to have all kinds of issues to face and deal with. But we are made, the ultimate orientation of our humanity, and our humanity only presents itself as male and female. The ultimate orientation of sexuality is the marriage of Christ and the church. This is what Paul means when he says the one flesh union of husband and wife is a great mystery that refers to Christ and the church. I, I know I'm doing, I'm not doing justice to all these issues in, in this podcast, and I want to point people to the chapters in my Q&A book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. Get the updated version that came out a couple years ago because I added a brand new chapter on the gender identity issues, and I also updated the the chapter on same sex attraction. And um, but the the fuller answer to these questions you'll find there. And I just want to say one quick thing, and it is going to be quick, but it it contains a lot. How can we understand vocation? Yeah, it's what we say in our podcast. You're a gift. Yes. Become what you Become are. Become a that yeah. is that's the deepest meaning of vocation and it does not it does not have limits on it. <laughs> it is true. It is true. It does not matter if you are in many ways not what you wish you would be. But the Lord has given you your life as a gift and the power to be a gift to others. Do not let the evil one deny you that because that is the Lord's absolute gift to you. And discovering that, how do you express that in your life truly in keeping with the grace that he's poured out for your life? That's your vocation. That's it. Amen. I hope that was helpful, Maggie. Our next question is from a listener named Lydia. Hello, Lydia. This is a somewhat random question, but I was wondering if you know why the bride comes in after the priest at a wedding. It feels off to me, but I wondered if there's some significant meaning to it. Hmm. I've never, I've never really given that consideration, but I'm going to wing it here. <laughs> and um, we can say that the priest is in persona Christi, and the priest being there as the representative of Christ, the bridegroom, right? Christ is the bridegroom. The initiative of the marriage is always from Christ, right? The model of marriage is Christ's relationship with the church, and the marriage always happens through Christ's initiative. This is why in the relationship of, of God and humanity, God is always the bridegroom, never the bride. Humanity is always the bride. Because the initiative of the love relationship always comes from God. And if you look at the anatomy of the male and the female, 
It is the man who must rise to the occasion to pour out the life-giving gift. And it Mm. is the bride who must open to receive the initiation of that gift, right? This is the theology of the body. So I think we could say, I'm just winging it here, but I think I'm, I know I'm on solid ground with what I'm saying. Can we apply it to this idea of the priest walking in first and then the bride? I think I'd have to say, yes, we can. I think there's a a, a clear um, parallel there. And it's not saying that that the priest is marrying the bride, but that he's um, got that bridegroom to the whole congregation Correct. reality. Right. And he's and he's saying in coming into the congregation who is the symbol of the bride, this is the marriage, the marriage of Christ and the church is the model of what's about to happen Ooh, that's here. That's cool. Yeah. What's about to happen here is a sacramental representation of Christ's love for the church. I'm going to try to think of that the next time I'm at a, I'm at a wedding. Yeah, I think I will too. So <laughs> thank you for bringing that up because I I wouldn't have necessarily thought of that myself. But it does point out all of these liturgical gestures have real significance and real meaning. And I think we may have just stumbled on the meaning of that. Mm. So thanks everybody for your questions. If you were blessed by what you heard today, please hit that share button. Keep the questions coming. We look forward to being with you again next week. Again, happy 2024. And Wendy's going to sign us off this time because she brought it up earlier, so I'm going to let her do it. Please remember this truth. You are a gift. And there is grace for you to become what you are. Open wide to it and live it. Woo! Amen. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.